This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Each week we preview and review the business and market stories with Oanda Senior Market Analysts. And this week it's Alfonso Esparza who is in Toronto. Good afternoon to you, or good morning indeed, Alfonso. Hi, Johnny. Good afternoon. We've got to start with the big news of the day, the latest non-farm payroll figures, and the U.S. labor market boomed in June, creating many more jobs than expected. 224,000 jobs were created in June. That is many more than the 160,000 that economists had forecast. How have markets reacted to that news? Uh, right now, it's very positive for the dollar. So the dollar was on the back foot uh, following uh, trade war negotiations at G20, then the Trump tweets about opening a new trade front with the EU. So that had the dollar on the back foot. But now, after this, it's, a, it's again putting some doubt in the how many rate cuts could the Fed really get away with. And even if a rate cut is needed, what we heard minutes after the report is the trade advisor Navarro for the White House putting pressure on the Fed. Trump has said in the past, and even uh, Treasury Mnuchin, that the Fed must cut rates so that the dollar is depreciated and it can remain competitive. So the Trump administration have got the uh, election already in mind because they want to actually boom the economy, don't they? Uh, Perhaps ahead of time. Yes, and that is one of the reasons that they want sort of the equity rallies to continue, inflation to be positive, but not too positive so that the Fed doesn't keep side of the way, basically. The main problem is that with their trade agenda, they're the ones that are putting the biggest pressure on the global economy as a whole, and they're actually making the dollar stronger because it's a safe haven. Yeah, indeed. We'll we'll come to the trade war or wars in a moment or two. What about the interest rate cuts to come, though? You know, many were predicting there would be a cut in July, and there may still be one if not a little bit later. But what about the numbers of interest rate cuts that you were expecting in 2019? Has that changed? So I was mostly the contrarian uh, in our team. So I think uh, Craig and Ed, who you've spoken to in the past, there were for sort of the baseline scenario of three cuts this year. I uh, was actually hoping that the Fed would push it back to September, just because, again, the data has been mixed, but not really terrible. It doesn't really warrant a strong action, especially if you compare it with the rest of the world. So you see that the U.S. economy is still growing at a 3% rate. To see at Europe, Japan, even the U.K., they have their own issues, and that's not really needed at this point. But that being said, I was starting to come around to a summer uh, rate cut just because of the political pressure. So we've seen Uh, The White House, Trump tweeting constantly to the Fed, trying to demote uh, Fed Chair Powell, trying to exert a bit of his influence. The question of the independence of the Fed has come up. And I think maybe not to bow down to the White House, but at least call it a preemptive uh, rate cut. And I think that's what the Fed will do in July. But... If the economy still remains strong, so that that is that has been basically what the Fed Chair Powell has said. He is hawkish on the economy. He believes the U.S. economy is strong enough to withstand the current environment, but he is very sort of dovish or he's concerned about uh, trade. So the trade headwinds are getting stronger, and that is something that he cannot control, and that's something that affects the U.S. economy. And funny enough, uh, behind the trade war is the White House. And also, when you look at these figures, it seems very topsy-turvy. 
one month it's you know above expectations and then the reverse the following month there seem to be no two consecutive months the same well something that really drove the narrative that the fed needed to act was the miss uh, last month so that one was huge like the 75,000 jobs in a month that is definitely not normal so we expected a rebound and that's what we got so we basically got the ones that were missing and there, there might be some uh, bureaucratic reason for the delay this is why this beat expectations by so much and getting back. Also, the fact that the uh, private payrolls released on Wednesday was also under the forecast. That kind of sort of like warn investors, or at least they, they're starting pricing in a miss again for the NFP. So when NFP comes back roaring and it's a monster number, the only sort of negative that you could see in this report is the wages. So we're seeing that wages have not gone up and they're considerably sort of tepid growth still. And that puts a bit of a, it was not like all a perfect report. If anything, the only, one of the biggest flaws is that. So there's no need for inflation. There's no enough inflationary pressures. So that's why the Fed still gets criticism. Did we need that December rate hike? And that is something that just right now, White House advisor Kudlow is saying the Fed should take that one back. So yeah. if anything, that one should be off the table. Indeed. And uh, as you said, despite the strong job creation, those figures on wages rising 0.2%. So the annual rate's at 3.1%. That is fairly conservative, isn't it? Yes. The market agrees in some ways with Powell, but also they feel the pressure from the White House. And the stock market needs lower rates. And that's what we're seeing. So whenever the Fed signals that they're uh, ready to sort of a step back from the market, that's a positive. When they're even ready to stimulate the economy via rate cuts, that is a positive for stock markets around the world. And that's what we're seeing. So the main issue now and like that could derail this stock rally is trade and how uh, geopolitical headwinds resolve itself. And we're talking trade be the US-China, US-Europe and Brexit. Let's move on to trade in more detail. Of course, we've got the ongoing uh, talks or non-talks between the US and China. But what about a trade war between the US and the EU? Can Donald Trump really fight two trade wars at the same time? Uh, I believe no, he can't. And that is the main reason that the dollar is uh, on the back foot. When there's a single trade front, so when we're talking about US-China and nothing else, when uh, even before going into the most aggressive that they've been with China, the U.S. closed off their two other trade fronts. So they made sure that U.S. and Mexico uh, aluminum tariffs were sorted, and it gave uh, a delay to the auto tariffs with the Europe. So when that happened, the dollar rose. Why? Because it's a safe haven. So people were like, okay, if nothing else is going on, we can trust that the dollar will be stable. But once you open more than one trade front, then that's all lost. So that's one of the reasons that we've seen gold rise so much this year, because it has retaken the crown as a safe haven. It had lost some of its appeal in the past, but this year is back. And the main reason is that you cannot have multiple trade fronts and expect your currency to sort of be stable or to attract people looking for a refuge. I want to talk to you about Christine Lagarde, Alfonso. She has been nominated to take over the ECB from Mario Draghi. An interesting appointment because she's not an economist, really, is she? She doesn't have the traditional economics background of most central bankers and has no first-hand monetary policy experience. How do the business community, how do the markets uh, feel about Christine Lagarde uh, taking over? 
there's mixed feelings about it. On the one hand, yes, as you mentioned, she is not an economist. She was not a central banker, a policymaker. That could count against her uh, in some ways, but the team is already selected. And I mean, the ECB is one of those central banks that it's not like a leadership from the top and everybody else follows. It's a very fractured uh, monster that needs everyone needs to sort of agree in the base rules. And in that board, there's a lot of central bankers from like big economies. So she'll have that support if needed. One of the plus sides is sort of her political savvy. So see, she is a politician. The main challenges that will come up for the ECB are not really on the economic side. I mean, Growth, it is what it is, and uh, the rates can only go so far into negative territory. But her savvy and expertise may be an improvement over Draghi for things like uh, dealing with Greece or Italy going forward. I think that is where her appointment makes a lot of sense, because going forward, it's going to be a lot of how to keep the union together and how to sort of try to achieve stability. But maybe you don't do it with uh, economic measures or stimulus, but you do it sort of in the back room and after hours of negotiations. And she's great for that. Yes, of course, you mentioned Greece and she led the IMF through the uh, highly controversial bailout of the Greek economy, which, uh, you know, very nearly fractured uh, the Eurozone. So um, she's certainly got some experience on that count. And she has called for greater financial risk sharing in the bloc. Yep, agreed. And just getting back to Greece, uh, elections uh, over the weekend. And this is something that will probably be, be or her first challenge, because it doesn't really matter who is now in power. All the things that inherited from the, the previous administrations will come to roost for her. And she will have to find a way to pass very unpopular uh, reforms or help the new government pass very unpopular reforms. So she has to help and sort of be sort of maybe even play the bad guy a little bit. Some a role that she's uh, played uh, various times at the IMF. So I, I look forward to uh, her mandate, and I, I think her political savvy is definitely needed at this level. So before we let you go, Alfonso, what should we look ahead to over the next few days? Well, next week doesn't have a lot of like fireworks, like what we've seen sort of for the G20 aftermath or even the OPEC Plus deal, or the NFP for that matter. So there there won't be anything like just a single point of interest. But what we'll see is central banks to the forefront again. So we'll see rate decision from the Bank of Canada on Wednesday. Uh, Fed power will testify on Tuesday and Wednesday as well before Congress and Senate. And very important, on Wednesday, 2 p.m., the Fed will release the FOMC minutes from their meeting So in June. So this is really important because, as you remember, there was only one uh, person who voted for a rate cut back then. But it'd be interesting to know what the rest of the FOMC members thought about it. And this will probably be the biggest highlight or in telling what the Fed will be ready to do at the end of July. OK, then, uh, Alfonso, have a very good weekend. Have a great weekend. podcast from the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am, listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.